On today's show, 2024 is here. We'll begin the new year with some mailbag questions as well as a preview of Wednesday's game between the Hawks and the Thunder. And all of that is coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1622 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday here in early January. Happy New Year to everybody listening to the podcast, as always. And today's show is brought to you by PrizePix, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. And the price to go is prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA. And use promo code LockedOnNBA for a first-time deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PrizePix. Also, I encourage you at the top of the podcast to make it your first listen each and every day. Please subscribe to the podcast anywhere. You get your podcast places like Apple and Spotify on the audio side, as well as YouTube on the video side. And today's show will begin 2024 with a bunch of mailbag questions, as well as a, a bit of a preview of Wednesday's game as the Hawks return to action against the Thunder on Wednesday evening. We'll sort of end the podcast with that. But all that said, lots of mailbag, mailbag questions to answer on today's show, and certainly want to encourage folks to send those in. There are different ways to send podcast questions in. Uh, one is via email, lockedonhawks at gmail.com. Also, you can send them to me on Twitter slash X at BT Roland is my personal account or at lockedonhawks for the show account. Also, if you want to leave, leave a five star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave the question in the comments, certainly able to do that on, on there as well. And the final place might be if you are a, if, if you are a patron of my written content at patreon.com slash BT Roland. So, all that said, we'll dive through a few of these and uh, hopefully start 2024 on a positive note when it comes to podcast content. Okay, first things first, a question from Jonathan who says, What do you think of the OG and Anobi trade? Could the Hawks have beaten that offer? And what impact does it have on DeJounte Murray as a Knicks target? Obviously, three questions in one here, so shout out to Jonathan for that. But uh, it's a Hawks podcast. Obviously, I'm not going to do a full breakdown of the trade itself. But quickly, I think it makes total sense for the Knicks. I think it's defensible for Toronto. Uh, that's kind of the way I would put it right now. The Knicks get the best player in the deal. And Ananobi, who's, a, at least in my mind, what I've heard so far, is a very likely to stay in New York, given, given that his son, sorry, his agent is the son of the GM of the Knicks. That's usually pretty helpful. Uh, he's a CIA client when the Knicks like those guys. Um, Ananobi is also very, very valuable on the court as a two-way guy. The way he defends in particular, obviously an awesome player on the end of the floor. New York also gets maybe some issues out of off its books. They were kind of maybe facing some questions about whether they were going to pay Emmanuel quickly, uh, what he's worth because of Jalen Brunson already kind of being there. Those guys are a little bit small together, etc. I'm not the biggest RJ Barrett guy in the world, but he's fine. It is what it is. For Toronto, I would have probably preferred some draft comp- competition in the deal more than they actually got, but quickly is very good. That's worth kind of noting if you're not a big uh, sort of follower of Knicks basketball. Quickly is very, very good. I will note that. He gives us something that also they don't really have previously in Toronto with his shooting at the guard spot. And uh, Barrett, again, is just kind of fine. I think the Raptors are probably banking on him a little bit more than some people might be because he's from Canada. But certainly a young guy with some talent and some pedigree, etc. So that's that part of the question. As to whether the Hawks could have beaten the offer for Ananobi, I think they could have beaten it. Probably not likely to, though, in reality. Uh, it seemed like Toronto really wanted quickly, which obviously the Hawks don't really have someone like that to offer. At least that they were willing to offer at this point in time. Maybe if you want to say DeJounte in that spot. But I never really got intel that the Raptors were super in on DeJounte. Even dating back to the summer when there were some rumblings about Siakam before DeJounte signed the extension. 
it didn't seem like Toronto was like all in on DeJounte as a prospect as a prospect for their for their team. Uh, and the stuff also again like the Hawks the stuff that they've been rumored to offer for Siakam in the last six, seven months is similar to what they probably would have been offering for Ananobi. And that stuff, like IE Hunter, IE AJ Griffin, etc., looks worse now value-wise than it did back this summer. Um, the Hawks could have offered a package like, you know, Hunter, Griffin, or Bay, or both, Buffkin, and the Kings pick and 2029 first round pick. That's a pretty good offer. That's a better offer than what the Raptors actually got. But I don't think the Hawks actually would have offered that. So the answer, like, could they have beaten it? Yes. Would they have? I don't. I don't really think so because quickly is pretty. Uh, I would say a better established player than what the Hawks would have been offering, and it kind of would have been kind of down to what Toronto prefers. And Toronto's pretty interesting in terms of how they approach this stuff under Masai Ujiri. Uh, last, but also of note, Ananobi's an expiring contract, which would have limited something of what the Hawks would have offered. I would have had to imagine. Um, the thing with, with the Knicks is that. Because he is a CAA client and the Knicks are very tied into CAA, they probably have a lot more intel about what he might be willing to sign for and maybe stick around. The Hawks would have been kind of flying blind on that, which is a little bit more difficult at this point in time. Last question uh, on this one. Before we get to DeJounte and the Knicks, it's kind of his own question, but a few folks also asked me what I think of DeJounte scrubbing his social media accounts of Hawks references. First, I will say that there's usually way too much stuff sort of made of this kind of thing generally. Um, so it's not something I'm going to make a huge deal about on the podcast. At the same time, I do understand Hawks fans noticing it and asking questions because of the combination of that, plus the rumblings and the rumors that are kind of out there now about DeJounte being tied to the Knicks and tied to the Lakers and whatever else. So no one has reported any discontent on the record so far, which is noteworthy. I think it is probably fair to ask if DeJounte is thrilled with the role and the way the Hawks are playing, all that stuff, and why the rumor kind of started to churn a little bit in the first place. Often that could be an indicator of a player or an agent or both kind of helping get it out there a little bit, or it could be the team. It could be both. It's certainly fair on all that, on those fronts. So, touch on that sort of more later on, I would say. Sometimes it's just kind of just rumblings to be rumblings, but it seemed like kind of a, a smattering of DeJounte rumor mill stuff in a short period of time. And often, not always, but often that means the player side is at least part of the conversation. Um, in the meantime, by the way, scrubbing social accounts does not mean the sky is falling in Atlanta when it comes to DeJounte. But maybe throw that in with everything else, and it becomes more eyebrow-raising. I'll certainly acknowledge that, even if I would always stress not to panic about that kind of stuff that's sort of on the margins. Because, look, stuff happens behind the scenes. This is this is basketball. These guys are all human beings, etc. Uh, last, last kind of part here is for, as far as how the Knicks trade for OG impacts the potential deal for DeJounte going to New York. I would say that it makes it less likely, but certainly not impossible by any means. So I said a little bit after the deal happened kind of right away, and admittedly, I thought that there was going to be more draft compensation going from New York to Toronto. It ended up being a second-round pick only in the deal, which got changed a little bit. Um, I, was just kind of, I wasn't reporting it, just kind of using my common sense brain. Then Mike Scotto of Hoops Hype reported that, quote, while losing quickly seemingly hurts a potential trade package for Murray on paper, Murray remains a player the Knicks are interested in acquiring, end quote. So... In some ways, that makes sense because they don't have quickly anymore. So the Knicks are like kind of down a guard now. It's kind of Jalen Brunson is the only real engine guard they have. And the Knicks theoretically kind of need Murray more than they did before in some ways. Now, there's that angle, but I also think it's notable that the Hawks probably would have asked for quickly in a deal for Murray. And they can't do that now. Obviously, he's now been traded. And there's just kind of the history and the reality of 
the NBA, it's it's not unprecedented by any means, but it would be pretty wild if the Knicks were able to make two separate transactions for Ananobi and Murray during the same six-week period in season, um, all while not trading Brunson or not trading Randall or not trading Mitchell Robinson, etc. Like, it'd be, again, not unprecedented, but certainly pretty aggressive and interesting and nuanced. Doesn't mean it's impossible, though. It certainly is possible. I won't go crazy on scenarios right now, but the Hawks could have realistic interest in guys like Josh Hart or Quentin Grimes. Like, not needle movers, but guys who would be valuable role players. I love Josh Hart. I always have Quentin Grimes, really interesting, valuable, young role player in the backcourt. The Knicks also have a, a big expiring contract in Evan Fournier, who is not going to bring positive value on the court right now for you, but he can kind of match salary in a way that's not super damaging for the future, which is obviously helpful. And the big thing is, still, as I kind of alluded to before, the Knicks still have a lot of first-round picks that they can offer. Most of them are not fantastic picks. They're protected. They got, the ones they have coming in are protected picks. But they have like three or four extra first-rounders plus all of their own first-rounders in the future. So if the Hawks were dead set on getting a, some, a lot of draft capital back to kind of recoup what they maybe lost in the Murray trade, the Knicks would make an interesting partner if they wanted to trade all that stuff. So broadly speaking, I would kind of always say that a deal for Murray to New York in particular was not terribly likely because trades are hard in the NBA. They all it's, it's, That always gets underplayed. Fans in particular, I, I get why it's kind of fun to make fake trades, but trades are hard to make. And it probably is, for me anyway, less likely. That's kind of what Mike Scotto got into as well. It's less likely now, but it's not something I would rule out at this point in time. There is still some level of smoke about the Knicks liking DeJounte. There's the agency stuff that was covered by Ian Begley about how like Clutch and CAA, a.k.a. the Knicks, are not on the best terms. But the Knicks are still, sorry, the Hawks are still 13 and 19, and they should be considering a lot of different things right now. Murray can't be traded for another week still, by the way. He's still in that six-month period where he's not allowed to be traded. But once that day passes, in about a week from now, there's going to be some discussions, I think. Again, my position on this, if you missed it before, I think the Hawks should and I think will make him available and at least take calls on DeJounte. That does not mean they're going to trade him. This is, by the way, not, not just the Knicks. I think the Hawks should make him available to whoever calls. And if they get an offer that's good enough to trade him, I think it makes some sense to trade him. Um, but they don't have to do something, I don't think. Um, it doesn't seem like the partnership between the Hawks and Murray is going like perfectly or anything like that. Certainly, there's lots of like recalibration that can be done on the Trey-Murray partnership and that trade. I think that uh, it's not really like a hot take, but I think it's pretty plain right now that, uh, at least if it was me, I didn't love the trade in the first place. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it any either. And I think right now, it is certainly not a deal that I would ever do again right now, going back, if I'm the Hawks, because of all the all the, what they traded for him and how it's gone. But my baseline, as, a, as we'll probably get into a little bit more later on on, on, this, on this podcast even, is that essentially everyone, and I mean everyone, other than Trey and Jalen Johnson, should be available on some level. That doesn't mean you have to be traded, but... And there are obviously t- tiers of availability. I'll say that probably a lot in the next month or so. But like, for instance, like I wouldn't be like looking to give away on Nika Kongwu, for instance, or uh, guys like that. Um, but I think that certainly there are levels of availability, but everybody should be not something that you hang the, hang the phone up on, basically. Other than Trey and, J- Trey and Jalen should be kind of off limits and everybody else, we will see in the future. So that's a long answer to a three-part question, but there, we'll get, there we go on that one. And the DeJounte stuff, I'm sure, will keep bubbling up in the next month. And we'll kind of talk about that multiple times. I would, I would be uh, pretty sure at this point in time. Anyway. We'll have more coming up in a second, but first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. 
Today's show is brought to you by the folks at PrizePix, and PrizePix is the largest DFS platform in North America and the best and most easy and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. At PrizePix, you pick two to six players and then choose whether they have more or less than a certain number of projections in each category, and you can win up to 25 times your money on your entries at PrizePix. They have common projections that allow you to combine different players and sports and leagues together and two or more things to have the common projection, and they have a huge selection of sports and stat types not offer anywhere else. They have the NFL, NBA, College basketball, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, and many more. And they have also a reboot policy. It perhaps is the only DFS platform right now that has an injury insurance policy of any kind. And I've really enjoyed checking out PrizePix for quite some time now. I'm a big fan of the service. I'm digging in all the time to all the projections, all the numbers in the NFL and the NBA, of course, on a daily basis. And I'll be doing that all year long. And on the whole, the experience is easy, it's fun, and it's recommended by me at the highest level. And the place to go to check out all of this stuff is at pricepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use promo code LockedOnNBA when you get there for first-time deposit match, deposit match, I should say, up to $100. One more time, the place to go is pricepicks.com slash LockedOnNBA and use promo code LockedOnNBA when you get there. Check out Daily Fantasy Sports Made Easy with PrizePix. All right, more questions from you, the listener and viewer of this podcast. And I'm going to put two together at this point in time, actually, on this uh, segment of the pod. Uh, and they're both about Sadiq Bay. So I'm going to combine them kind of into one deeper question. But one from Austin was, up to this point, is Sadiq Bay worth re-signing this summer? That's the question. And another one from Garrett who asks if Bay should be a trade candidate, since he'll be a free agent coming up this summer. So we'll do them both here at the same time and start with whether he's sort of worth re-signing is the way that, that was put from Austin. Uh, first... I know this is a kind of a boring answer, but it's going to come down to what his market actually is. Um, if Bay is going to get starter money, so $25 million a year for somebody, I would not want to do that as the Hawks right now. That's too much for Sadiq Bay. But if he gets squeezed by, by the market in restrictive free agency, as many guys often do, and would kind of come back on a contract that makes sense for a bench player, like a sixth man or a seventh man, then that makes sense. Because for me, Sadiq Bay is kind of what that is. Um, like for instance, Bay is a very useful player. I think there's like a interesting nuanced discussion about Bay as a player. I won't do the whole thing now, but you know, EPM is my favorite advanced metric right now. He ha- that that service has Bay as the Hawks' sixth best player on offense, and it's just the sixth best player overall on the team on the team this year. I don't want to overstock that after 32 games, but that kind of feels right to me in some respects. On offense, Bay has real value. He's not shooting terribly well this year from three. Um, 35% now for the season, but he's also ta- he's also taking less of them, which, which I don't love. But with that said, he's shooting 31% on quarter threes this year, and that number is going to come up. That is way lower than his career norm. He's getting way too many good looks to have that be the percentage from the corners. And uh, that's a point of potential positive regression coming up for Sadiq, in my opinion. Elsewhere, he like he, he's a good mismatch runner on offense. He plays so physically. He's a very strong player. He's a good rebounder at the three. Not really at the four, but pretty good stout at the three. Uh, defensively, I've talked about this a lot. He's not great. I think the metrics are poor defensively, and if you watch him, I see the same thing. He's not as bad when playing next to Jalen Johnson, especially when it's Jalen in a center. But that would probably help most most players. I would say he does generally compete, which I do like about Sadiq. He's a very physical guy, something that the Hawks kind of kind of need because they don't have a ton of like that brute physicality on this roster. But he's very shaky in space. He doesn't protect the rim at all. He's not very long and athletic, etc. So. This is too simplistic, but I do think that he's probably more of a bench guy on a good team in the future. So maybe fifth starter, that wouldn't be unreasonable like he is kind of right now. 
where he's obviously the fifth best player in the lineup with DeAndre Hunter out. He's starting it. That makes sense, but he's obviously like their weakest guy. And that makes that's kind of where he probably should be. So what does this all mean? Um, all the buzz dating back to Detroit was that Bay kind of wanted a star level contract, which is maybe why he didn't sign an extension with the Hawks. I think he was kind of asking from what I heard. He and his agent, it's not, it's not just a player, it's him and his agent, were asking for a lot of money. And I, I don't blame them, but um, if I was the Hawks, I would not have paid a lot of money in an extension, and they didn't do that. But again, I wouldn't want to pay him as a starter. I think that he's kind of worth an investment as a 6th, 7th man. But the tough thing it is, it only takes one team to make a silly offer in free agency if you're restricted. Um, and that kind of puts the team in a bad spot. And you kind of, then are you evaluating what, what are kind of match a bad deal or let a guy go for nothing which isn't great. Um, an example in semi-recent fashion for the Hawks was that Tim Hardaway Jr. got a massive offer sheet from the Knicks when he was a free agent with the Hawks. And the Hawks just had to let him go. Like, it was a bad beat, but at the same time, it was an easy decision because it was way too much money for him. And Hardaway is a flawed player, but you don't want to lose guys like that for nothing if you can help it. And that brings you back to the, to, to the trade question. So to bring things full circle here, I'll give the same answer now that I would have usually give, and that's kind of, I would listen to Bay. I would listen on deals for Bay, at the very least. You don't have to trade him. I think if a team wants to give you a first-round pick or like a starter-level package for Sadiq Bay, I think I'd probably do that. The Hawks, of course, paid five second-round picks for him last year, last year at the deadline. I think if the Hawks were to flip him for that kind of similar package, I would not mind that. But like he is a positive asset in a trade, and I think that he doesn't make a lot of money right now. That's kind of one of the reasons why he got to Atlanta in the first place last year was that he's he's pretty cheap contract. So you know, there's a lot of nuance here, but I think as like maybe a piece of a bigger trade he makes some sense or if a team's trying to pick him off to be a bench guy on a contender or whatever that makes some sense as well so like I'm not overwhelmed by Sadiq Bey as a future asset because you have to assume that he's going to be probably properly paid next year which I don't think you have to like panic though and trade him for nothing so I think he's kind of like a lot of the Hawks guys right now unfortunately um, or fortunately maybe if you want to view it more optimistically like I think he's a pretty good asset. He's on a good he's on a good contract right now, but in the future, maybe overpaid. Kind of a weird role player, but um, I do think that he's going to fit fairly well and has fit, fit fairly well with Jalen Johnson. So playing more next to Jalen in the next few weeks could help him. But we'll see kind of how that goes. And I think as far as like the the clean answers to the questions, I would not want to pay him a big number this summer, but I would I would match a reasonable one just to retain the asset. And when it comes to trade stuff. Um, same answer that I'll give a lot of guys. I think he should be available, but you don't have to trade him because you don't want to pay him. Like I think at a guy, a guy at this level, if you lose him in free agency for nothing, it's not great, but it's understandable in a way that it wouldn't have been for guys that were making more money and had bigger investments in the past. All right. Question from Keith, who says, how long will it be until the Hawks are playing Kobe Bufkin and AJ Griffin? I think we're all tired of the other backups. Sorry. Um, Honestly, that's a funny question, but I also get this kind of thing a lot from fans. And I don't blame you at all. Uh, it could happen as soon as Wednesday. It wouldn't shock me. As I'm recording this podcast on Tuesday night, Bufkin is still in the G League, so that's worth noting. But he could be recalled. That wouldn't stun me between now and Wednesday. Um, the Skyhawks do play home games on Thursday and Saturday, so he might stay there for a little bit longer. But Kobe looks great in the G League. He's averaging 30, 30 points a game, 55% shooting in three games. Um, I wouldn't get carried away by that necessarily because it's the G League. The numbers are going to be inflated there. But he definitely looks good, which is certainly more encouraging than anything else. He's been playing under control. All the stuff that I liked on film about Bufkin in college, he's showing it again now, which is good to see. On the AJ front, I think it probably helps the Hawks that they they, uh, actually practice today on Tuesday. He should be easing back in. Quinn is never going to come out and say AJ's going to play on Wednesday. He'll never say that. But I think that 
as he gets more and more ingratiated again with the team, he's more and more likely to play. Um, I think that him just kind of being around the team again gets him closer to speed. Um, as for like being tired of backups, just to answer that part of the question, I don't blame you at all. I really don't. Like the Hawks have not been playing guys that you love to play <laughs> in that in those eight nine spots right now in the rotation. Like Wes Matthews been out of the rotation the last couple of games. His offense is a problem. I, I love Wes's defense, but offensively he's a, he's a big negative. I think Garrison Matthews has been their best of these guys. He's not going to kill you on offense or defense, but he's not great on either end of the floor by any means. He's more of a depth piece if in sort of an ideal spot. He might be your 12th man. Right now he's been their eighth man for a while. Patty Mills' impact is limited on a team that has Trey and DeJounte. He's kind of playing a small role in offense. Trent Forrest I love for his defense, but offensively he's obviously limited. So not great options. We all, we all kind of know that and understand that, I think, at this point in time. But And there's also the development side of things. So you obviously want the last two first-round picks for the team to get minutes and to be on the floor to get experience and get better and better. And I'm not trying to dwell on this, but the Hawks are 13 and 19. Like, it'd be different and easier to understand or grasp or really just kind of, you know, accept if, if you're a Hawks fan, if the Hawks were 19 and 13 and they were rolling and they were the four seed in the East or whatever to have your young guys not playing. And now, obviously, Buffkin was hurt for a long time and AJ was gone for a long time. So, like, it's not like they've been around the whole time and just not playing. That would have been way worse in terms of, like, being understandable. I get why the Hawks have handled both guys the way they have so far. But I think as the season goes along, provided they're healthy and around the team, you want to see more of Kobe. You want to see more of AJ. And they're just more talented than the other guys. Again, that, talented does not always mean better on an NBA court, especially for young guys, because mistakes can happen. I think it's certainly understandable to, to play some older guys over these guys. But as the season goes along, that talent and that pedigree, I'd like to see them play more. So, I think you'll probably start to see them both play more and more now that they're back in the mix. I think Kobe would have played some already, if not for the injury, given how weak they've been in the backcourt at times, especially when anything happens to Trey or DeJounte. But I don't love the way they've handled AJ so far, necessarily, before the personal absence. But still, I think he would have played some while he was gone. So the schedule is pretty home-heavy in the future, as we'll talk about in a second. And I think that uh, you'll see more and more of those guys. I'm not sure it's going to start on Wednesday, but they will uh, be, I-, I would guess, into the rotation at some point in the next couple of weeks, and uh, obviously we'll be excited to see all that when they arrive. Okay, we'll have one more segment come, uh, talking about all things when it comes to the schedule. I have a question about that, and then some Hawks Thunder talk at the end of the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, and the NFL regular season is now wrapping up, and there's still plenty of time, though, to get on the action at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get 150 in bonus bets, guaranteed when you place a $5 bet at FanDuel. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. And the app at FanDuel Sportsbook is so easy to use. There are so many different ways to bet at FanDuel. They have live same-game parlays. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, and the best way to find Piper Parlays is right there. You can also find bets in the new Explore tab at FanDuel, and they have all the point spreads, over-unders, money lines, player props, future bets, and much more that you come to expect from FanDuel Sportsbook. The app is safe, it's secure, and they cover the entire range of sports as well. That includes the NFL, of course, and the NBA, college football, and MLB, WNBA, college basketball, golf, tennis, soccer, boxing, MMA, auto racing. It's all there for you at FanDuel. And they also have Hawk stuff related as well, including the full slate of offerings for the game on Wednesday between the Hawks and the Thunder, player props, the line, all that stuff, and, and futures and much more, player awards, etc. And now is an awesome time to set up with folks at FanDuel Sportsbook. And the place to go and do that is FanDuel.com slash on and make your first bet a layup. With FanDuel, one more time, that is FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 
All right, and one more mailbag question on today's podcast. It comes from Dale, who says, how is the Hawks' schedule in January? It seems to be pretty tough so far this year. So, yes, pretty tough so far this year is accurate. It's not been a total and utter gauntlet, but it's been a little bit challenging so far for the Hawks, at the very least. Um, In January, they have 15 games. Of course, the first one coming up on Wednesday. It's actually tougher than average if you look only at the winning percentage of the opponents. They have some tough games in terms of like who they're playing against. They play the Thunder on Wednesday. Thunder are really good. The Magic twice. They play the Sixers. They play on the road in Miami. They play on the road in Sacramento. They play Dallas. They play the Lakers, etc. So not like full of easy games necessarily, but the situational stuff, the under-the-radar nerdy stuff in the schedule game is much better for the Hawks in the coming month than it has been so far this year. That's where kind of it's been bad so far. For Atlanta this year is like they've had a lot of rest disadvantages. They've had a lot of tough schedule spots, a lot of uh, quick turnarounds, etc. A lot more road games than home games, etc. But in January, it's ten home games and five road games. And yes, the Hawks have sucked so far, just to put it very plainly, at home. But they're still better to be at home than on the road. Even with their schedule so far, even with the results so far, everyone will tell you you want to be at home more than you want to be on the road. Uh, they also get the Wizards and the Spurs at home this month. Nothing is a layup or guaranteed in the NBA, but those are obviously favorable games. They have Toronto at home. That's a favorable game. There are a few pretty pretty solidly good spots for the Hawks. And also, only two back-to-backs all month long. So it's not a cakewalk by any means, but some of the underlying stuff is much better. There are less spots where you'll hear me say on the podcast, this is a, bad, this is a really bad spot for Atlanta. Um, and look, this, this doesn't guarantee anything, but given how bad they, they've been so bad at home, like it, it's actually stunning. Again, they're 4-9 and nine at home this year. That won't continue, I don't think, but we'll have more on that as we get going here. And that's sort of a good bridge to end the podcast on this note. They play the Thunder, of course, on Wednesday in Atlanta. And this is another spot here where it's actually a pretty good schedule spot. So, it's a back-to-back with travel for OKC. And they play the Celtics tonight as I'm recording this podcast. So, again, speaking of that previous question, a really good spot against a very tough opponent. So, keep that in mind. Um, again, I'm, I'm recording the podcast basically during the Celtics game against the Thunder. Keep that in mind. If they suffer any injuries or anything like that, we, I won't know about it. But OKC has been awesome this year. That's worth noting. As I record this podcast, they're top three in the West in, in win-loss record. They're number one in the West in net rating. Top three in the whole league in net rating. They're 9-4 and four on the road. Um, offensively, they've taken a huge step forward this year. Top six in offense. Um, they're elite in taking care of the ball. Um, they have a huge jump in shooting this year. Um, they're number one in the league in three-point percentage right now, 39%. Top four or five in field goal percentage. They're actually number one in free throw shooting. Here's a crazy stat for you. The Thunder currently have the best free throw percentage in the history of the NBA, 85%. The all-time record is 83.9%. So they have a decent chance of actually doing that. That's just a, something to keep an, eye, keep an eye on in this game. Um, they have one weakness on offense, and it's kind of the same one on defense. They don't rebound the ball very well. The Thunder are not good on the glass. They play pretty small, pretty light. And that's an area where the Hawks maybe can uh, win some in this game. But defensively, the Hawks have their hands full big time in this matchup. Shea is an all-NBA player. He's awesome at the point of attack. He's number one in the scouting port, obviously, for the Hawks. But now they have Chet Holmgren, who's a very dynamic player. Can shoot for them. Versatile, etc. Jalen Williams is a really good player. Big time guy. The Hawks, of course, wanted him in the draft. He was uh, went flying off the board before they had a chance at him. But uh, he's averaging 18 points a game in efficient fashion for the Thunder. Um, we'll see what the plan is on Shea between DeJounte or Jalen Johnson, maybe at the start of the game. But they're probably they might even need to use Trent Forrest as a specialist in this one because you know Shea is so good, and um, we'll see. 
Um, there are not really a lot of hiding places defensively against the Thunder, really at all. So keep an eye on that. Um, and then defensively, they're also really good. They're top three or four in the league in defensive rating. Maybe a little bit lucky in opponent shooting if you look at that stuff a little bit closely. But here's my number one sort of key. Beyond, I think rebounding is probably the easiest key because the Hawks have a clear advantage there. But the Thunder are number one in the league at creating turnovers defensively. Now, the Hawks are also quite good at not turning the ball over, which is a positive thing. But they have committed more turnovers this year than they have in the past. This year, they're like more like league average in turnovers. Maybe a little bit better than that. In previous years, they were like top five. Um, they cannot afford to turn the ball over in this game because the Thunder are going to run and run and run. And again, they're not good on the glass, OKC. Um, but so there are, there are areas to exploit. They're actually prone to fouling a little bit over the Thunder this year. Um, and I think the Hawks are going to be able to score, I have to say, because the Hawks' offense is pretty good, obviously. But they're going to need to win the possession battle in this game because the Thunder are the better shooting team. The Thunder are the better offensive, not better, offensive, better defensive team by a lot. So... Yeah, a tough matchup. I think it's interesting because of the nuance involved with the schedule spot, kind of going the other way. Like I, I'm prone to telling people maybe why there's a bad spot for the Hawks, but this is one where like the Thunder are better than the Hawks, like very obviously so far this year. But the game's in Atlanta. The Hawks have days rest before it, and the Thunder have a back-to-back with travel. So like a little bit of a level playing field. In fact, the folks at FanDuel make the Hawks a one-and-a-half-point underdog in the game right now as I'm recording this podcast on Tuesday evening. That actually sounded small to everyone that I think I've, t- that I've talked to about this so far. But again, I think if, if the Thunder were not playing tonight and having to travel, it might be three or four in Atlanta. But it's one and a half because that's a real thing. It's a tough spot for the, for the Thunder. So winnable game for sure. But as I've said a lot this year, the Hawks have been very bad at these coin flip kind of games. And it seems like it's going to be another one on this night. And the Thunder are very good. So they're going to have to rely on a on, on playing well, for one thing. And also, unless the Thunder suffer an injury tonight or rest somebody tomorrow, the Hawks are the team that has the worst health again. Now, they actually have improving health. Seth Lundy is actually questionable to play with a left ankle sprain after he's missed the last couple games. But Hunter is still out. And Hunter is by far the best player that is still out for either team. The Thunder are pretty much at full strength. Um, notably, Akangwu is back after missing the game over the weekend with illness. He's not on the injury report at all. So the Hawks should be at relatively full strength, minus Hunter, in this game. And uh, certainly, you don't want to overemphasize anything, but uh, it'd be a game that'd be good to get. I mean, obviously, the Hawks would like to win any night right now. But given that they're 4-9 at home, given that the Thunder are... A team that is, it would be a juicy, positive, like momentum-building win if they were actually able to get one at home in this spot. And we'll have full coverage of that game coming up after the game on Wednesday. I'll be in the building for it, as always. And stay tuned for all that. And a breakdown, etc., etc. Okay, that's all I have on today's podcast. Please, please, please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. Places like Apple and Spotify on the audio side, as well as YouTube on the video side. And please tell a friend about the podcast as well or share it with someone in your life that might enjoy Atlanta Hawks basketball. I would be very grateful if you would help us spread, help us spread the word about the podcast and help us to grow the audience a little bit in the coming days and weeks. Happy New Year one more time. And uh, that's all I have. So we'll see you after the game on Wednesday.